Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let's jump in today. We got a big one today. Two promises, two huge promises from Romans 8. So I'm going to bypass all of the pleasantries where I normally go in and, you know, give a big introduction and all this stuff, and we're just going to jump right into it. So, did God really say that all things will work out? That's what we want to know, right? For those of you who are really bad, you're the person who reads the book, and you read the last chapter of the book first, so you see how it's going to end, right? Right? That's what we want, and thankfully, God's given us that, right? We know how the story ends. We see, and God promised that everything is going to work out. For those of you secular music fans out there, I won't make you raise your hand, but there's the old Bob Marley song, right? Every little thing is going to be all right. Right? That's what God says. That's God's promise to us. Every little thing is going to be all right. And even more than that, God says every little thing is going to be great. Everything is going to work out. Everything is going to be worked together for good. Every good thing, every bad thing, every unimaginable, horrific event in the history of mankind will be worked out. Every awful incident in your history will be worked together for good. This is an absolutely incredible promise, isn't it? But we've got to remember, with every incredible promise is also an extremely loaded promise. This can be a powder keg of emotions for some people, right? Because a lot of us have prayed those prayers that didn't get answered. And a lot of people who aren't sitting in this room right now, they aren't sitting in any church room right now because those prayers haven't been answered the way that they want them to be answered. And so to bludgeon them to death with this Bible verse and to say, everything's good, everything's good. God's going to work it together. It's good. God only does good things. We got to be a little careful, don't we? We have to handle the word of God with care. I would argue, most of you know this, we are incapable of handling the word of God in our own strength. We've got to let the Holy Spirit handle his word through us, don't we? Which means we've got to be careful when we throw these promises around. Because there's a lot of people who throw these promises at people, right? You've, you've been in a position where you've had this promise thrown at you. Everything's good. Everything's good. And can I, can I tell you, that at best, that's careless handling of God's word. 
At worst, it's absolutely heartless because you aren't thinking about the person that you're giving this promise to. You're trying to give this one-size-fits-all answer that God, oh God, you know, this is, this is what God does, this is how God moves every time, da-da-da, all this stuff. So let's make sure that we fully understand this promise before we try throwing it at others and also at ourselves. So, today I want to look at these three things as we dig deep into the depths of this incredible promise. First, sorry, my... Right now. Hello? Okay. Shake it off. So today, we're going to look at these three things. First, all things for good. And that word in there is very important. Second, we will look at those who are called. And finally, I will attempt to preach in under three hours on predestination. It's one of my favorite theological topics, so I gotta try to keep it brief. So here we go. First, all things for good. That's what this promise in Romans 8.28 is. That God works all things together for good. Here's what Paul says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, God's will is a tricky thing. And if we aren't careful, we can use God's will. We can use God's sovereignty, the fact that God is sovereign over all creation. But we can use that to justify awful things. Now look, if we step back, we can look throughout human history and we can say awful things have happened, right? If we look back, we can say the church has signed off on awful things in human history, right? Terrible, terrible things. But just because these terrible things have happened does not mean that God caused them to happen. Does that make sense? Now, I am not going to dig into this entirely. Uh, actually, we, we talked about, there was a sermon series we did a while back. I can't even remember when it was, but it was, it was called Sovereign, and we talked about God's sovereignty so I would highly suggest, you know, when we're going to get into a little bit of predestination today, but we're only going to scratch the surface. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I'd suggest you go back and listen to that sermon series. You can find it on the website. Uh, it's on all of our podcasts, but you can go back and find that stuff. But this falls in that category. God has this, this sphere that he works in where awful things happen but he's not the one causing them. I have been a part of more than one occasion where people have told me, well, that's what happened, so it must be good. That's what happened, so it's God's plan, so it had to happen that way, so that's, it, it's, it's God's plan, it's good, don't question it. But that's not what God says, is it? That's not what this promise is, is it? God says, I will work all things together for good. That does not mean 
We'll get there eventually. There we go. But this is the promise. All things work together for good. This does not mean that all things are good. It means that even when bad things happen, God will use those things for good. Now, if anyone has ever had this Bible verse quoted at you, if you have ever had somebody throw this in your face while you're walking through suffering, you know for a fact that there's a difference in this. Because for somebody to tell you that God's promise is that all things are good when you're walking through something awful, that's the worst comfort you could ever get, isn't it? It's miserable comfort. And number two, it's not true. That would be God saying that bad things are good. And we know that that can't be the case. So this promise, we've got to be careful when we handle it. It's not God saying all things are good. God's sovereignty, God's will is not signing off on horrific events. We get this, there's this incredible thing that exists. Like, you know, I look back at the Bible and I look at Satan, right? He's the enemy of God, the enemy of all creatures. And I think to myself, why did God create Satan, right? Why not just bypass the whole thing not create him in the first place. But really what's happened is, in this creation of Satan, Satan brings about this evil, this sin into the world, this rebellion to God, and he brings God's children with him. He pulls us down. But now Satan exists to where God can say, I've given my people a choice to love me or not. Because, what, y'all, if, if we don't have a choice on whether we love God or not, is that real love? If we're forced to love God, is that real love? But God gives us this choice. God can't make bad things happen, right? God can't tempt us. The Bible tells us that in James. So here's Satan, who can cause these bad things to happen, who can tempt us. And so God, now listen, we get into this, we get into theologically sticky territory. Does God allow bad things to happen? He does. Some people really don't like that, y'all. And I cannot tell you why he does. I can give you my ideas, but I can't tell you with any certainty why God allows these things to happen. What I can do is at Romans 8:28 and what it really says. And I can say, if God has allowed it, he has a good reason. If God has allowed it, then something good will come of it. Not that it's a good thing. This is not, this is not a wash your hands, Christian. This is not a, well, then I'm just going to go rob a bank and <laughs> God's going to cause it to work together for good. That's not what that means. I'm sure some of you have seen that before where Christians do all sorts of shady things, well, God causes all things to work together for good, and they sign off on it, like, well, I don't have to worry about it now. That's not what this promise says, though. That is not what this promise says. But in order to fully understand that, we have to know who this promise is to. Now, again, we've hit this almost every week with this Romans 8 series, right? Right? Every single week we've hit this. 
where there's this promise, there are these incredible promises from God. And in today's culture, we love to, to pretend, and the church, unfortunately, has precipitated this. We love to paint this picture that God is this all-inclusive God, that everybody gets a piece of the promise, that everybody gets invited, or everybody does get invited in, but that, that everybody's accepted and everybody's loved and everybody, every single one of these promises, though, says otherwise. Every single one. Read your Bible. Because what does this say? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This promise is not all-inclusive. Do you get to claim this promise if you don't love God? No. Do you get to claim this promise if you aren't called according to his purpose? No. Look, you can paint whatever picture you want from that. Now, we talked about this weeks ago, but everybody's invited, right? The inclusivity of Christianity is that everyone has the option to come, but you have to come. And when you come, you can't come on your own terms. You can't show up and say, all right, Jesus, I'm here. Now here's my terms. Oh, come on, son. You don't talk to God that way. Sometimes I think I was, I was actually thinking about this morning as I was, I was, I was praying, but sometimes I, I goof up on this when I pray. Have you ever prayed and, and in the middle of your prayer, you just get hit with this wave of like who God is? Like you're sitting there praying and just all of a sudden it's just like, whoa, Far too often, y'all, I forget who I'm talking to. I forget how good God is. I forget how holy God is. I forget how just and mighty and powerful God is. And I just kind of flippantly flop down on my couch. Hey, Jesus, buddy, what's up? And then I get hit with these waves of, oh, I forgot who I was talking to. But I think a lot of times when we pitch this idea to society, you know, we want to make it easy for people to come to Jesus. We want to make it so that Jesus is popular and, and, you know, everybody loves him. God doesn't need your help, though. Jesus doesn't need your help to become popular. Let him take care of that. Because the reality is we cannot approach a holy God any way we want. We have got to come to him on his terms. That's what our world really doesn't like. Our culture today, shouldn't say our world, there are some cultures that deal very well with this. They see it clearly. Our culture does not. Because what our culture says, what? I am the center of the universe, right? I should be able to determine whatever I want. That's why marriages don't last anymore. That's why every relationship is transactional. And as soon as it stops benefiting you, you throw it away, right? As soon as this relationship has no use to me, I throw it out. And we treat God the same way. That's why so many churches preach this genie in a lamp Jesus. What can he give me? But that's not the question. We come to God because he's already given everything. These promises are exclusive. 
And if you don't see that, you can't handle the promise. If you aren't called by God, you will never be able to handle this promise. The reality is, and Jesus says this, this promise is not for the world. Over and over again in Scripture, we see this, and it's a little confusing. But over and over, Jesus says, right? The world will never understand what I'm saying to you. Right? There's, there's, it almost seems like a cop-out, doesn't it? Like, if I say, like, oh, if you don't understand me right now, well, it's because you're of the world and you don't know. I mean, that seems kind of like a cop-out. Like, of course you're saying that. No, you're just confusing. But that's what Jesus says. That's what the Bible says, cover to cover, that the world will never understand God by the world's wisdom. In order to understand God, like we talked about last week, we have to embrace weakness. We have to become weak so that we can understand him. But the world will never understand any of God's promises, especially this one. And we see it. Because, y'all, when the world fights against this, when they fight against this this sovereignty of God, when they fight against the will of God, you hear it all the time. If you're paying attention, if you listen to the skeptics, how could a loving God, how could a good God allow such pain and suffering in the world today? Why would God refuse to answer my prayer the way that I see fit? And it's interesting because the the smarter, the wiser, the more enlightened mankind has become, the more we struggle with this issue. As man, as human beings have become the center of the intellectual universe, we have never, ever in the history of mankind been worse at handling pain and suffering than we are now than we are today. Because it used to be, before man thought he ruled everything, before man thought he was all-knowing and all-wise, before Google had the answer to every question you could ever think of, it used to be that we thought, you know what? God knows better than I do. But we don't think that anymore, do we? And so when a prayer doesn't get answered the way I see fit, all of a sudden, I throw my hands up. How could a loving and just God do this to me? How could a loving and caring God put me through this? Because I don't see how this could ever work together for my good. Because I don't see how anybody could ever justify this. But you see the problem with that? Because I can't see. Because I don't know. I'm relying on my wisdom. And in my wisdom, I will never see the way of God. If you struggle with this promise, if this is a promise that you look at and you're walking through something raw or you have walked through something raw that makes you doubt this promise of God, can I I challenge you to do something? And we need to be better about this, Christian. Stop looking at the promise. We've got songs and we've got, you know, teachings and everything that says, look at the promise, stand on the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise. Stop. Because it's not about the promise. When you struggle with understanding the promise, don't try to understand the promise. Try to understand the promise keeper. The God who made the promise in the first case. 
Because as we understand God, we understand His promises more and more. Because if we're being honest, like we said, the world will never understand this promise. The world will never understand any of the promises of God. You'll always get pushback on the promises. But if we're being honest, even as believers sometimes, it's hard to wrestle with the promises of God. Right? If you're walking through something, if you're going through a trial, to sit here and wrestle with this promise and to really trust that God is going to work it together for good, it's not easy. It is not an easy thing. But if you don't know how much God loves you, you are never going to be able to love God. It seems backwards, doesn't it? But that's what the gospel tells us. 1 John 4, 19, we used to hammer this here over and over and over again. Maybe we should start hammering it again. But 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. That's the gospel order of things, y'all. Not if I don't love God enough, I need to muster up the strength and love him more. Not I need to read a devotional about loving God more. Not I need to read a book about how to love God better. None of those things. We love because he first loved us. So we need that love to wash over us. You see how all of this fits together. We are called according to his purpose, which means God sets his love on us first. Isn't that cool? God sets his love on us first. And then, and only then, can we start to understand the promises of God. And I haven't even thrown the wild card in here yet, y'all. Because underneath all of this is this incredible topic of predestination. Now, I really love talking about predestination, usually because in any room there's about 16 different ideas of predestination and every shade in between of where people fall in lines of predestination. But look at what Paul talks about because this is one of the most uncomfortable passages for those who believe in a God of completely free will, who believe that there is no predestination, that God does not predestine things, that You know, everybody gets to choose as they see fit. This is really difficult to wrestle with. Romans 8, 29 to 30 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So, generally, very broadly speaking, there are two camps in this argument. There is Calvinism, and then there's Arminianism. All right? Those are the two big things. And while it goes into, there's a lot more that, they, that those two things talk about than just the, 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 this idea of predestination. But here's the deal. Calvinists believe, there's a saying in Calvinism, once saved, always saved. Right? So they believe that when you are saved, that God has chosen you, that you don't have a choice in the matter. You are saved, always saved. You can never walk away. 
And then there's Arminianism that says, absolutely not. You have to choose God to come to him. You, that, that's a choice that you make. And then once you are in him, you have the free will to walk away if you choose to do so. Those are the, that, those, that's a broad stroke, but those are the two big arguments, all right? Now, here's the crazy thing. There is biblical justification for both. Now, we see this, this passage. This is a big one for Calvinism. All the Calvinists in the room, yeah, take that, suckers, because we got this one on our side. Try to beat that. The problem is there are just as many Bible verses that you can beat this with. Now, the word of God does not contradict itself. Amen. Which means the correct answer whether you Calvinists like it or whether you Arminianists like it, is probably right in the middle. It's probably a combination of both. Where And, and this is what's always gotten me. So Calvinists believe in predestination, right? Here's the problem. We have a God, now we know this theologically, we have a God that knows everything, right? A God that knows everything. A God that exists outside of time. So when God looks down at us in, in this timeline of the world, in this timeline of creation, God sees Adam and Eve and God sees Revelation when everything ends as if it's happening at the same time. Now that blows our little minds. We, we think, what? Because we can't even imagine not having time, right? I, now see, this is where I get theological nerd because I love, I love thinking about things that hurt my brain. I love sitting here and thinking, me and Jana talk about this. We haven't talked about it in a long time, but we talk about this sometimes because she hates it. So like sometimes I'll bring up with her and I'll start talking about like eternity. And like there is coming a day when we are going to be with Jesus forever and time is never going to end. And Jana starts saying, stop, that makes me uncomfortable. She's like, I don't like thinking about that. That makes, it's just weird to me. Like, but, but that, I mean, really like that, and for me, it's like, oh, this is so weird, right? And I like stuff that challenges me. I like stuff that I can't understand, but really that's what it is, right? We cannot wrap our minds around a world where time doesn't exist because everything is so time centric in our universe, for everything, there's a time. For everything, there's a season. But, but there's going to come a day where there's not. Time stops existing. So if God is already there, God is already looking at everything, then that stands to reason that God knows every decision I'm ever going to make, right? Now, so that then you get into the real mind-bending thing, which is a chicken and an egg argument, which came first, the chicken or the egg. There's no answer. But we get into this argument, so if God already knows what I'm going to do, am I free to do that? And for me, I say, absolutely. The fact that God knows what I'm going to do doesn't negate the fact that I'm free to do it. Now, there's some people who hate that answer. Well, that, that just can't be. The Bible says it is. The Bible says I have the will to choose God or to reject him. The Bible also says that there are characters throughout the Bible that God hardens their hearts and God softens other hearts. <laughs> so so you see, there's no winning this argument. You see, no matter what side you're on, there's no winning. And can I challenge you, if you are winning the argument, you're losing because that's not a very humble stance.
right? Now, look, it's fun to talk about this stuff, but really what we got to anchor down into is what does this do for us? What, what, what does this do in light of the gospel? What theological consequence does this have on our lives? Because the reality is, like we said, there's justification for both. I do not think you're going to hell if you're a Calvinist. There are some people out there who probably do think that. I don't see it. I don't see a God who does that. You are not going to hell if you're an Arminianist, an Arminianist and you think that people have free will. You're not going to hell if you're sitting right in the middle. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's it, right? God doesn't say you've got to be Methodist and believe in Jesus he doesn't say you've got to be Calvinist and, da, da, da. right? It's if you believe in Jesus. Let all the other theology stuff go out the window. Is it fun to talk about? Sure. Can we, can we challenge each other and talk about things and be in awe of how great God is? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. So what does, what are the ramifications of this with us and Jesus? And it is this. Look at this passage. Look at this passage. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Y'all, if the Holy Spirit is moving in your life right now, God chose you. Right? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, if you feel this love of God rushing over you, then that means that God has chosen you. That he knew you before time began. And he called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Look at God. Look at your creator and look at how securely he has grabbed onto you. Guys, look at this. You are known by God. This most high God that we talked about, this creator of the entire universe. Guys, I am a speck of dust, right? When you look at human history, I'm going to exist for 70 years if I'm lucky, 80 years, 90 years, whatever. That's a speck compared to, to human history. And yet, the creator of all things has chosen me. Has said, Jeremy, you are mine. Before I could come to him and say, God, I love you, right? Because that's what we as humans do, isn't it? When someone loves me, well, yeah, then I'll love you back. That's not what God does, y'all. God said, Jeremy, you don't know it yet, but I love you. And when the time is right, I am going to reveal myself to you. And you're going to love me back. 
you guys, you, some of you know this about me. I was not a good person in high school. I was kind of a jerk. I was a little arrogant. I used to sing country music. I thought I was really good. Found out I was not. But for Northwest Ohio, I was pretty good. But I thought I was going to be a famous country music singer. Right? No idea. It's really still hilarious to me. When I started dating my lovely wife, Jana, she asked her dad. Her and I were dating at the time, mind you. I still wanted to be a famous country music singer. My backup plan was English teacher, but I was pursuing those two things, nothing ministry-related. Jana asked her dad, Dad, who do you think I'm going to marry when I grow up? Hoping she says, or I'm hoping he says, Jeremy. He does not. He says, I think you're going to marry a pastor. Thanks a lot, Van. What the heck? Like, I'm not going to do that, clearly. Yet. Guys, I had no idea that this is where I would be. Absolutely no idea. But from the beginning of time, God knew me. And he knew that this is where I was going to become. And y'all, I wouldn't choose anywhere else in the world to be right now. Nashville, Tennessee, or otherwise. I wouldn't choose to be doing anything other than what I'm doing right now. Preaching the word of God. Loving God. I love that I get to do this. I love that he called me to do this. But most importantly, I love that Jesus called me. Regardless of what I'm doing, right? We get so focused in our, in our world today of what we're doing, who we are, like what's your profession? Jesus doesn't care. Jesus has called you. Jesus predestined you to be loved by him. He predestined you to see that love and to respond to it by loving him back. He called you. He justified you. And now, Jesus is going to glorify you. Y'all, we've talked about this. Can you, I mean, wrap your mind around this. The God who says, I will share my glory with no one. Right? In the Old Testament, God says, I share my glory with no one. Has chosen you. And he's going to glorify you. That's unbelievable, y'all. And if you don't see that, you got to spend some time in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. The reality that the God of the universe wants to glorify us, his creation. And then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Look at how securely God holds you in his hand. We're going to continue breaking this down. Y'all, if you're not familiar with the end of Romans 8, you're going to be. I will make sure of it because I am going to pound it into your skulls. But y'all, this is how secure we are in Christ. This is how secure we are. So many times, we get so focused on other things. We get focused on the bad things that we want God to work out for good. 
We get focused on the good things that we wish the bad things were. God, I wish my life was like this. God, I wish this. I wish this. But God says, first, the first promise, that he will work everything together for good. Even the bad things, right? That God will work them for good according to his will. And then God backs that promise up by saying, if God is for us, who is against us? Y'all, cling to that promise this week. We're going to dive into it even more next week. But cling to that promise. If God is for you, what can this world do to you? If God is for you, what enemy will you ever face that can defeat you, that can knock you down, that can ruin the will of God? No one, right? No one can ruin the will of God, including yourself. But that's for next week. For this week, as we close, I know the topic of predestination is tricky. I know that everybody's got their own ideas of it. And honestly, y'all, it makes me horribly sad that we have taken this theology and we have used it to divide the church. That there are branches of Christ's body who refuse to talk to one another, who refuse to acknowledge God working in the other, because of this idea. We need to stop letting theology divide us. We need to stop looking at these things, these tricky subjects of salvation and and Jesus, and stop dividing Christ's body with it. And instead of looking at the topic, we need to look at God, right? We need to look at Jesus. Focus on the God who gave the promise more than the promise. If there is one thing that God has absolutely driven into my core throughout this sermon series, it is that we cannot seek after these promises without the Holy Spirit. We cannot claim these promises without the Holy Spirit. We can't stand on them without the Holy Spirit. We can't even understand them without Him. But when God calls us, And we've already said, if you have felt that love of God moving in your heart, if you have felt the Holy Spirit, if you believe the Bible tells us, you cannot say that Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit first revealing that to you. So if you can say it, guess what? The Holy Spirit's working in your life. You know, lots of times we like to make the Holy Spirit into this mysterious thing that we've got to like jump through the right hoops and do the right dance and then he comes down and fills us for a little but if we goof up once he's gone that's not the God of the Bible that's not what the Bible says but if the Holy Spirit is working in your life then you can ask him to show you how loved you truly are how secure you truly are that there is nothing. Once God has set his love on you, 
There is nothing that can ever separate you from that love. Nothing. Jesus Christ has made a way for the absolute worst of humanity to be worked out so that we can look more like him when all of this is over. And God promises us that it will be more than worth it. Right? Jesus is more than worth it. So we- Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.